Welcome to the Future Will Not Be podcast, an unscripted, unedited conversation about future shock. This is the idea that technology is accelerating so quickly that our feeble human minds and our laws and our societies can't keep up, and why that is fundamentally a new problem for our generation. It is hosted by three guys who have covered technology for, I don't know, about a decade. My name is Matt Silverman. I am here with Alex Fitzpatrick. Hello. And the one and only Evan Engel. Oh, thank you. What's our topic today? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we're talking about something that we know quite a little bit about. Uh, media. The future of media. It's been a rough couple of years, gents. It has. It has very much oh, so. Really? I, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Evan's been, he's been floating around on cloud nine thinking everything's great. Things are great here. <laughs> so many uh, subscribers I, there. Yeah. <laughs> Should yeah. we should we say something? Are we going to alienate people who think that we're just media guys who are only going to talk about media? Should we should we specify here maybe for our, for our listeners, all three of them? Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that that we're talking about media not because we work in media, but because it, it is uh, a hugely influential part of our society, and and because the problems within media around media consumption and media production uh, have re- reverberated through society uh, in. in hugely influential ways uh, in the last few years. Yep. And it's an entry point for our show and our uh, quote-unquote expertise. It's a way for us to get into this conversation about the idea that things are different now. They're different than I'm going to put this forward that, that, that technology has made things different for us and certainly our children than they ever have been for any previous generation and that is really cool and exciting and also really terrifying and i think media is a big big chunk of that and it it, i think it will touch a lot of the other topics that we are going to tackle in this project let's say that's 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 why i wanted to kick it off here yeah i mean the way that we both consume and disseminate information is changing so rapidly uh, because of the underlying technological shifts uh, that we'll be talking about in other episodes to come um it just it makes sense as a starting point um to to get into this larger conversation and series of conversations really so uh, you know we tend to work in the journalistic sphere i don't don't usually consider myself a journalist you guys are more um hardcore in that uh, area um so we can start with journalism um but there's a larger thread that i'm very interested in that i think is the the root of this fundamental change it's not like oh we used to have paper and now it's on the internet or we used to have tv and now it's online video i think the, the the underlying shift here tell me if you agree is that everyone is a content creator every single human on the earth with a phone in their hand can reach every other human and disseminate information that could just be fun, silly pictures, or it could be a a headline about um, a newsworthy event. And that is the fundamental, that that is the reason that someone sees a thing on Facebook and they just click it and say, and read it and think, yeah, that happened. I saw it. This is information that is there, and therefore it is not necessarily true, but it is out there, and I am consuming it. Whereas previously, there was only the newspaper, or there was only, let's say, Walter Cronkite, and and there was a corporate 
or business or ethical um, standard by which all of those entities operated, and there is absolutely no ethical standard by which Joe User operates on Facebook. And as we've seen in recent uh, weeks and months, you know, we're starting to discover what ethical standards we should hold the platforms to. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it, you know, it, the, the core message there is that the gatekeepers are largely gone and that, you know, anybody can disseminate a message. And sure, some microphones are louder than others still. Uh, you know, some people have more followers or some people get picked up more easily or whatever it may be. Um, but the underlying uh, element sort of underlying all of this is uh, is the fact that everybody's a publisher and everybody can make content that then goes and spreads out through the internet. Um, and it's sort of, it's important for the rest of us to think about whenever we see a piece of content, you know, what is, where is this coming from? Who created this? What was their intent? Um, you know, is it problematic in some way? Um, and it's a whole series of sort of media, new media literacy questions that I think most people are only beginning to realize that they need to ask themselves as they sort of surf the information superhighway. There's there's an element of this that I that I think about, and it's it's a personalization element. You know, if, if we think about uh, a medium as as an extension of a human being. Uh, then part of this is not new. When when we were all growing up, we all had phones in every room of our house, and a stranger could call our phones, and instantly every room of our house would light up and they would all start ringing. And when you think about that as an intrusion, as, as somebody is making this, this incredible sonic intrusion into your home, today that would be kind of unthinkable. We don't, we don't quite have that sort of thing. So there's always been this capability, at least as long as we've been alive, there's always been this capability for, for people to, to use a medium and extend themselves into our lives in ways that are, that are necessar- not necessarily wanted or, or warranted. But, but today's media uh, seems far more personal than that. For, for one thing, uh, when somebody attacks a, a, our avatar, they're not just dialing our phone number, they're actually attacking a photo of us that has our name next to it, and it feels such m- much more personal. And, and the way in which they are doing it is, is far less personal than just dialing, dialing numbers. That, that, that attack coming from them is, is itself more personal. So when we talk about people as, as content creators, the, the sort of content that they are creating and, and the way that that content is interacting online is, is a far more personal way than even the, the media that we grew up with. Take out the personalness of it. Uh, I feel like it's a trust thing where... If a, if a person called your house, I don't know, like a political candidate or a nonprofit or something, they, they invade, like you said, they invaded your home with a telephone call, you would say, get out of here. You would say, please don't call this number. Like you're invading my space with some sort of information or some sort of message. And it was a very, you know, it was a defensive stance. And now we see the same kind of information being disseminated and we're like, oh, wow, well, I heard that happened and I saw it on Facebook. And that was, uh, we sort of, uh, we, we tr- people trust information uh, just because yeah. they see it on platforms. And that's, uh, that's yeah. radical, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Evan, it's interesting that you use the phrase attack just because, you know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, I've been there eight or nine years and it's, you know, oh, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter at Alex oh, James Fitz. Oh, oh yeah. sorry, man. Yeah. I had no idea. No, it's all right. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, waiting for you to follow him back for like months. Request pending, sorry. man. <laughs> Smash that button. Um, 
No, and it just, it I don't know, it, there's a real definite feel of maybe it's just the people I follow, maybe it's just the, the community that I'm in, but, you know, it used to be a place where you'd share an interesting article and people would be like, oh, that's a cool point or whatever, and now, like, everybody is so angry and mad and looking for something to attack and just feels like a bad place to hang out and a mentally draining place to hang out and i yeah. mean you know that 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 is certainly that certainly has ties to the larger sort of narrative of global events over the past year or so um but i think it was happening even before that and it's just gotten worse well two thoughts on that um one is remember when these two things tie together. Remember the early days of Twitter? I have this memory of Twitter. When I first got on, my wife was uh, in journalism really before me. And she was like, oh, you got to try Twitter. I was like, okay, cool. Check it out. And it was this wonderful sort of one-to-one, like, I follow you, you follow me. We both have like 20 followers. And I, I feel like I met this group of strangers who were all sort of in a chat room all the time. And we could talk to each other. And it was public, but it was like closed in a way, you know, and it was just this really fun and exciting way. And it was sort of this um, mutual, you know, uh, buildup of following and followee. And it was just wonderful. It was just very intimate. And then that gave way to everything you just described, Alex. And then similarly, I feel like we all came up in the media publishing world at a time when... Um, it was a very optimistic time to be the idea that like you don't have to be the New York Times to be a publisher anyone with a blog can be a publisher it's a new world and everything's changing and we're the future and it and it's a net positive thing that everyone has that megaphone because the bad opinions will be sorted out will be voted down and the good things will be pushed up and and everybody wins it's the, the democratization of media and and i really believe that and i still do to an extent I, I still love the internet and i believe in the internet but like we i, I feel like we didn't see the current st- stuff coming it, it was real I, I feel very blindsided as a professional uh about where the place we're at now um and it makes me sad because the, I, I say this often the internet used to be fun and now it's a very um it's a very dark place i think you your analysis is apt um and i think you really what you're highlighting is this idea that um smaller communities are often better and i think we're seeing there's been a few articles written like this uh sort of on this idea of you know as these sort of mass communities like twitter become sort of antagonistic and and just bad neighborhoods basically people are sort of retreating into group texts and dms and whatsapp and, and smaller communities basically so, some small kids, subreddits the hashtag the teens they have no use they have no need for twitter and facebook they're all exactly. in messaging apps i think that's exactly uh, yeah and i mean it's, it, it goes to a, like it, it number one like you know when you're on twitter sometimes you forget especially when you have a lot of followers um not the humble brag but like <laughs> oh, I, I tweeted oh, an twitter? elon musk joke a couple of days oh, well, ago great i'm glad the show has its first running joke um and so like i tweeted an elon musk joke and i'm like oh this will get like 10 faves or likes or whatever twitter calls it these days um and then it blew up and i I stood by the joke but like he's got such rabid fans that no matter what he does they'll defend him Mm -hmm. for whatever reason 
that they started to come at me and I'm like, I don't have the mental energy to deal with this. Like, yeah. This was not what I wanted and it's bad and I don't like it. Um, and I'm just like, why do I, why do I spend time doing this? Is like, there, this make is any there sense. something cyclical here? And I, and I, I wonder because growing up, there was always this tension. I think right, I, I grew up in a, in a suburb in upstate New York and there's this battle in the suburbs when you're in the, in the eighties and the nineties and you can see it in, in our horror films and you can see it, this, this idea that the world outside is either inherently dangerous and it's, and it's a terrible place or that, that, that notion uh, is itself uh, sort of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and that, and that the world is actually a good place if you approach it as a good place. And, and, and does this, like, I, like, I wonder what it's like to be a kid now and, and somebody says, Oh yeah. Like the internet. Oh yeah. Twitter. That's terrible. Like the whole world, everybody out there, like they're all terrible. They're like, the whole world is a terrible place. Like, is that, is 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 this a an, an old conflict that is playing out in a new medium or is this a fundamentally different lesson that children growing up today are going to learn than what we learned That's yeah i mean maybe i think you know to some degree to, to to matt's point earlier like you kind of have to go out and find your people whether that's locally or globally right like if you're say you're growing up in you know some random uh small town in montana or whatever and you're really into i don't know crocheting goats uh, and that's your passion that's your drive crocheting uh, there's goats? probably not a lot of yeah like i don't know like little goat <laughs> figurines or whatever i don't know how crocheting works crocheting, crocheting um, images of goats right not right right crocheting, crocheting little the tiny goats, goats themselves no <laughs> that would be weird although like, i guess like you could make a sweater for the goat but goats kind of have built-in sweaters that's sort of an evolutionary <laughs> advantage so i would love to see someone um, crochet an actual goat <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, whatever. It's a bad analogy, <laughs> yeah. but like, um, so say you're into some really weird thing that like nobody else around you in your town is going to be into, but like you can go out and find other people online who are into that and have a cool conversation about your mutual interest. And like that goes back to like my grandfather was involved in like ham radio back in the day, yeah. and he would find yeah. other techies like states away to talk to about whatever, right? Um, and so that's still a really cool and awesome thing when you can find a small tight-knit community that's like positive and about something that's not just like racism or hatred of people, <laughs> right? you know what I mean? But like well, it's in the sort of public sphere it just feels like there's so many people out there just looking to troll or looking to pick a fight and it's like it's like being in a bar where it's like you know, you can just tell that there's dudes who are like like just hit me you know just, just like yeah. looking for a fight and it's like i don't want to be in this bar anymore that's the internet what you just described is the internet that i believe in um it still exists and as you said uh, people are retreating away from the public square and going back into these small communities i, I guess to, to to bring it back to a, a real world analogy you know getting back to like the suburbs and the outside world thing that evan's saying it's like if you're out in the middle of Times Square trying to have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with, you know, the world, everyone who's just on the street, you can't expect that. You can't expect to come away from that being like, oh, that was a really insightful di di discourse that I had with these random people in the middle of uh, New York City. Like, you're just shouting into the, into the crowd at that point. But then if you say, okay, well, it was fun getting a walking around Times Square but now I'm going to go back to my friend's apartment and we're going to play board games and talk about you know crocheting goats for a while then that's going to be a nice evening and that's my people and so that's the internet too I guess yeah yeah but I mean to bring it back to the sort of place that we started in terms of you know sort of capital j journalism in, in, in terms of media um you know the, sort of the, the the thought that i've got 
Um, really, only the one thought. I don't have many thoughts um, <laughs> on a day to day basis. But, you have a lot uh, of Twitter followers, considering you've got no thought. <laughs> uh, it's all just puns, really, which aren't thoughts. They're thought mm. adjacent. They're not mm. really thoughts. I've really got to follow um, you on Twitter, man. I got <laughs> to see what this is all about. So, but like, here's the thing: is like, you've got in terms of gatekeepers, like, um, it is. It's it's in some ways a good thing that you know editors at major publications no longer have the control of you know who gets to to have a big microphone and, and reach a lot of people um, because you get people of color and people of different backgrounds being able to reach a bunch of people and that's a net benefit no doubt uh, but at the same time you've got a sort of tear down you know there are places where you know media outlets where you know the standards are not as high as Matt alluded to earlier um, and you've got misinformation being spread and, and sort of to, to various nefarious ends um, and the me- people's media literacy, literacy is just not as high as it needs to be um, so it's really that's kind of the, the sort of pro and con of it that, I'm, that I've been thinking about lately. Achieving the media literacy of the 21st century is the crux of the future shock here. It's yeah. that the, 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 I only see one solution to the problem and that is media literacy and how can we how could we possibly achieve it? How can we establish it in schools? How can parents teach it to their kids if the media and the tech is moving so yeah. fast that how can how could a parent say, hey, you know, hey, kid, don't believe everything you see on Facebook. And the kid's like, what's Facebook? I'm on this yeah. thing. And it's like, well, they can't even have a conversation about media literacy then. Yeah, well, and, you know, there was a, a story just today that said that the audio notes are now being used as, as the next sort of medium for hoaxes. Uh, there's, I, I don't think that the media literacy is, as we envision it is possible. Uh, mm. we, you, we, we grew up in an era where, where it was like, okay, check your sources and like, and like, who's, who does this article benefit? And like, why would they do that? But, uh, but that, that sort of logic makes sense in a world, or, or at least it makes more sense in a world where there are limited people, where, where there are limited players with access to, to that sort of medium. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, forget not to, I'm yeah, sorry yeah. to cut you off, but forget, check your sources. Yeah. Every every there are you you could read five articles and watch five television stations. Even the 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 worst one of the five still has a baseline of like we don't lie. Period. You, you, know, you know, even if there's always a even spin. If they did. You know, it, growing up in America when there were five television stations. Uh, you you still there was still an understanding of who the players were behind that and what their interests were and, and who they were trying to represent. When you when you open right. that up to the entire world uh, and the entire world's interests, I I can't tell you how how this article or that article or, or or this sort of fake article benefits like a separatist movement in Chechnya, right? Like but it but it does or it could. And I, I just don't know enough. I, I, I don't know enough about the landscape of the entire world to identify the motivations behind every piece of media that comes my way. I would argue though that like the the very platform that gives us this problem, which is the internet, um also gives us a solution at least in the form of it's never been as easy to try and research and check sources and you know obviously like evan you said you're totally right in that it's very difficult to sort of check every piece of content that you come across um but 
the fact is that, you know, if this was 30 years ago and I saw a questionable article in the local paper, you know, um, what am I going to do? Go into the library and like look at an encyclopedia and like, you know, not to knock that, yeah. but you know what I mean? Um, whereas now I can just pop up my internet browser and hop on Google or whatever. And, you know, in, with my Google skills, like within a few minutes, I can sort of get a pretty good idea of, you know, who, what is this outlet or who is this person or so on and so forth, right? Which like, is the optimistic view. Yeah. The, that's the optimistic view that, that I feel like we came in of like the internet outweighs the, the, the power of the internet and its access outweighs the the bad actors. But I think as we've seen, very few people ever, ever do that. And the misinformation floods in so fast and, and at an overwhelming pace that like quite literally the president of the United States <laughs> who who always lies and bends truth, but but currently we have politicians who are just say factually ridiculous things and it doesn't matter that the entire rest of the world is like, wait a minute, that's false. It doesn't matter that we say, whoa, that's a total lie. Every newspaper and publisher in the world is like, that is a factual, that is not true. And yet, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. Uh, I don't know what to do about that. Well, and, and, and not only that, but but even if that were to matter, getting to, to Fitz's point earlier, it it's built upon the idea of reliable sources. It's built upon th this idea that, that, okay, well, I don't know who this source is, but I can go look it up somewhere. And, but, but the idea of looking it up somewhere, looking it up uh, on Wikipedia or looking it up, you know, like there's the, the idea. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The idea is where? still that there is some sort of reliable source out there who, who can speak some sort of unadulterated truth. And, and we, we have lost that sense. And that might not be ne necessarily a, a bad thing, uh, that might be a net a net negative, you know. There there there's there's opportunity and and great risk there. And I think that is that is probably right where we're we're at in when we talk about future shock. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to hone in on is like I feel like the three of us and and many other um, you know many of our colleagues and very um, I guess liter media literate or educated people. Let's just put a, a broad label on it. When we we look at something from any source on any medium on any platform and 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 we look at it and we and you you kind of be like this what this smells bad it just i don't know why i don't know what it is it just smells fishy and then it's that innate sense of uh skepticism i guess that we then take that extra step to be like oh this doesn't feel right i got to check it out so that to me I agree with your statement earlier that like maybe media literacy is not achievable and never will be again. But this notion of like how do we instill this like fishy detector on our children and the rest of the world who just seems to be accepting things at face value. That That's all I can hope for, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when you talk about teaching kids, you know, it sounds like the sort of thing that has to be done by parents um, because any effort in schools to, to do sort of media literacy, I can just see being so controversial, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, imagine some kid coming home to a certain household and, and you know, saying, hey, dad, my teacher said Fox News isn't a reliable source or whatever. And like, oh, God, the fallout from that would just be, could be horrific, right? right. And Fitz, I think you you're bring up a good point in highlighting Fox News there. Because, Matt, when you talk about a, like a, a fishy detector, I mean, really what the attributes that would trip that that sort of detector are are at, at the end of the day it's it's 
political and its aesthetics, right? Like, like mm-hmm. what if you see a ton of yeah. misspelled words, you say that doesn't look right. Or if it's formatted like like a 1998 GeoCities page, like that doesn't look right. Um, unless you're on the outline, the outline it, loves that. But <laughs> <laughs> everyone slams the outline. I, 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 I actually like, the, like outline. the outline quite a bit. I just can't pass up that joke. But but you know what I'm saying is it's, is it's like what what are the attributes that would that would alert us that something is not right if it's just this gut feeling then really it's it's when we read something that goes against our political beliefs we'd say ah oh, I don't think that's right and that is that is such a a bad standard when we're trying to get to something that is an objective fact yeah no that's uh, so it's the getting to this of like does it do I agree if I agree then like I don't care that it's like share blue eagle dot yeah. org you know then then if i agree with it i'm going to give it a pass but if i disagree with it then i'm going to like check my sources i you know we're talking about a couple different levels of like uh, fishy detectors one is like uh right do i agree or not and the the second level the 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 enlight the true enlightenment is like i agree with everything this blog is saying but it's so sensational and partisan that I'm also going to check it out, even though it it aligns with my worldview. I, that's holding. That's what we need, and that is holding the yeah. public to an an impossible standard. I feel. So the 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 solutions I've seen proposed for something like that are are moderated ones, where where Facebook will tag something as fake news for you. And of course, that comes with its own extreme risks and its right. own extreme uh, problems. So, you know, one thing that we haven't quite touched upon yet uh, that I think is important is just the economics of the situation that we're in, uh, in the media and in journalism, in that, you know, a lot of publishers are still trying to figure out how to make the money side of things work, uh, some more successfully than others. But, you know, uh, Google, Google and Facebook dominate, what, 90% of the ad industry and the rest of us are fighting for scraps. And that's a difficult situation to live in. Um, and, you know, sort of in that in that world, you know, when we're talking about misinformation uh, and the spread thereof, you know, a lot of the sites that have been spreading misinformation, especially related to elections and, and politics, you know, some of them are being done for sort of nefarious political purposes. I mean, we've seen indictments just in the past few days along those lines. Um, but a lot of it are just people trying to make a buck. And it turns out that, um, you know, making websites that that show information and content that confirm readers pre-existing biases uh, is a pretty decent business model uh, and that's sort of a scary thing to think about speaking i mean <clears throat> speaking of fox news that's it was literally just you know someone figured out that pre that confirming people's biases is a business that was that, that was an entire cable revolution and it is clearly a, a, an internet publishing revolution and it's uh not sure what to do there yeah, actually, uh, sorry, guys, I don't have an answer on that one either. All right, good. Well, <laughs> well no, we, we can't solve all the world's problems guess, with this guess show. Not, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, the, if there's a silver lining to this, it's that uh, it's that we are told that capitalism solves all these problems. We're told that where there is a need, uh, that that the market will work itself out here, uh, and this is a pretty blatant. Uh, example of that not being the case right there is there is yep. a need for local news there is a need for for objective facts uh untainted by by whatever sort of bias you want uh and it's not being met the market is not providing this and and so i don't know if the solution is something where where you have uh 
Chris, is it ProPublica who's who's doing all the local journalism grants now? I, I yeah, and or or if it's or if it's something like PBS, you know, which which uh, again like like causes its own sorts of problems. Where where if do you have a government grant that that supports journalism that that obviously uh, causes us to bristle in, for a lot of great reasons. So it's it's it. I don't have an answer here, but I but I do like this as a as a really good highlight of the failings of, of sort of market-based uh, allocation of resources. Yeah. And what's interesting agree. about that sort of the, the failure is that, you know, to, to the three of us, it's like, we're talking about local news uh, specifically, like you brought up Evan. Um, and to th- the three of us, it's clear that, you know, there's a need for local news, both for the communities that it reports on, but also just because so many great uh, stories of national import start as local news yep. stories, right? And then get picked yep. up by the nationals and the internationals and so on from there. Um, but particularly climate stories. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and racial justice stories. You see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens, I, I think that the underlying problem is that a lot of people don't see that need and don't see a need and therefore don't see a need to pay for it. Uh, and that's where the economics of it all break down, right? If you're not willing to pay Newsday ten dollars a month or whatever for your for your local paper and your local coverage, um, that that model just goes away, right? There's nobody, you, there's not enough volume there to do sort of ad, digital ad based uh, business. It just it just doesn't work. Um, I'm really, f- I'm so fascinated by, and I, I don't, I'm not surprised by it. I shouldn't be surprised by it, but we, everyone is so happy to throw $10 a month at Netflix <laughs> toward entertainment. That's the, that's the exact company I was about to uh, sort of sort of use as my analogy too. Yeah. And I was thinking like, we were, thinking, we were talking about solutions a second ago. And like, what if there's some crazy world where Reed Hastings, the Netflix CEO is like, you know what, we're going to take, uh, we're going to use all this money that we're making um, and use it to do like local news TV stations or something. That would be they're never they're, they'll never do it. It's not their business um, mm-hmm. f- for clear reasons. Uh, but that's sort of an interesting thought exercise. Like, how do we use this people's uh, desire for entertainment? Like newspapers have had like the funny pages and crosswords forever. How do we like bring that link into the digital age? And like that's sort of what BuzzFeed has been trying to do, where like you yeah. come for the cookie monster meme or whatever, and you stay for the awesome reporting that they do. See, um, I'm convinced. I agree with everything you just said. I'm becoming more and more cynical that like nobody ever really read newspapers. I feel like people <laughs> bought newspapers for sports and crossword puzzles, yeah. and nobody was reading the the international politics or anything i just don't think they were because clearly when we serve everything to every when everything's free on the internet and you don't even have to buy it they're still not even reading it then uh and so that i i don't know no but i also think that's sort of a medium uh question in that like um, you know, when you go on the internet, I feel like people are looking for ways to, to kill time and to be right. entertained more so than they're looking for like, what's going on in Syria today? Mm-hmm. And whereas the newspaper, uh, just as a, as an object, as a medium feels a bit more like I am, I'm buying this because I want to know what the school superintendent is up to or whatever. Right. And, and I, and I think you're, you're forgetting something important, Matt, which is just how boring everything was before the internet. Things were so yeah. boring and like you're like in a room and and the 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 limits of the world that you can access are the limits of that room. So it's like, yep. oh, I guess I'll read a newspaper. Right. That is God, I that's everything. I think that's everything. 
it's about the the newspaper was the only thing the only shot you had at killing a half hour at the dentist while you're waiting to go in that was that was all you had and now you have candy crush and instagram and anything you want yeah and wow that's uh but, that's something I think about a lot as I as I write headlines uh, for for the news that we're doing is that like you know every piece of content that we make you know it's news it's not just content but it's still going to compete with every other piece of content on the internet so like how do we at least give us a headline that's, that gets at the importance of the story or makes it you know clicky in a way that's like exciting for people what about of like course. your friend jenna thinks you should read this have you tried that <laughs> not yet no <laughs> well give, try, give that I mean, statistically yeah. statistically yeah. you have a friend I'll, jenna like someone I'll read, listen i'll read there. anything jenna wants me to read but like okay your 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 newspaper boredom analogy is perfect but i feel like it still justifies what i said of like you don't actually want to read about syria in the newspaper you just have no other choice so no one is choosing you're choosing news over boredom you're not choosing news right and if you have other choices you will gladly choose those instead right Given that choice and given given the social ramifications of, of masses, mass amounts of people making that choice, one day it could result in something really terrible. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> Until that day comes, we yeah. will not know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm getting at this idea, like, was there ever truly a business model for news? Like, hmm. newspapers and magazines were selling big, glossy advertisements for big, big bucks so that people could wrap fish in them and skip over them on the way to the crosswords. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone has ever been looking at those advertisements and they were always bad and useless, but now we know that they're bad and useless because we can see no one's clicking on them. And therefore, there, there is no business model, which gets, gets, gets me back to um, PBS as a model. I love um, listener, reader... Uh, viewer contribution models, uh, you know, in the entertainment side of things, the YouTube side of things, I tend to call it fan funding. It's hard to say the word fan when you're talking about journalism, but like, you know, I don't read the New York Times cover to cover, but I just get a subscription because I think the New York Times should exist. Uh, that is different from me saying, I want this product and I use, I consume this product and I'm paying for this product. Um, and then the other thing that you hit on earlier of like, you know, we don't want the government touching our our media and our journalism, but there was there's this notion that like the airwaves were not owned by corporations. The airwaves were owned by the public and these networks could broadcast whatever they want, but the government says, mm, but you need to devote X number of hours to factual, intelligent information, and the rest of the time you can just put beer commercials on it. But for these two hours a day, you need Walter Cronkite saying, here's factual information. There is no government body that is telling Facebook or the internet to block out a certain amount of, of space for, for factual 
intelligent discourse and, and that's as we the talked difference. about yeah and as we talked about earlier like if there was that sort of blocking out people would just go elsewhere right for that amount of time um although matt i think i would refute your your sort of hypothesis that nobody ever looked at ads um only because like i think that the internet trained us to ignore banner ads because banner ads are bad mm-hmm. they, they don't look good they're they're ugly um we know that they're not the information that we're looking for actively but if you go back to sort of especially in the glossy magazines um, you know, advertisements used to be, and many of them still are, but really gorgeous, like yeah. awesome photography, really well done. Um, and then just the, the the amount of talk you hear about like Super Bowl ads still as a cultural phenomenon um, are, is huge. So I think people, just to say that people just tune out ads entirely, I'm not sure that's entirely right. I just think people respond to good ads and are trying to ignore the bad ones that like are just ugly and you know, the banner stuff. and Yes and no. I mean, yeah, banner ads suck, but like lots of newspaper advertising was essentially banner ads. It was just columns of of images or text on the side of of the story that you're reading. So I don't know that that's new. Super Bowl is different because it's a cultural moment and it's also live. It's a live event that you can't consume, really consume in any other way. No one's watching the Super Bowl the day after. So you are beholden to the cultural conversation of the now around Super Bowl ads every other television commercial is fast i can't remember the last time i've seen a television commercial because a i don't watch television and b if i happen to be watching a pre-recorded thing i'm fast forwarding through the ad but you you guys are also talking a little bit like uh uh talking a little apple and oranges here uh what, what matt is is saying is that newspaper ads were useless and and if you look at the way that newspaper ads changed over from from 1976 through to 2000 uh, it, it's not a huge difference, right? The 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 Ford ad in the in the way back of the newspaper was probably just the same ad for those whole thirty years. Uh, mm-hmm. But but if you look at the way the television ads changed over that era, uh, television ads became became an art form. Television ads were were running laps around the programs that that they were in between. Uh, you know, even even as 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 sort of a three camera sitcom didn't change the the advertisements around around it just just changed incredibly. So, so I, I, I think that, that, uh, the, you know, I, I think that you guys probably are, are both right in that regard, but I, but I wanted to come back to something that Matt said earlier about, uh, about regulations and, and government input on this. And, and I, I think to some degree we are seeing not, it's not a government body that says you have to insert real news here, uh, because I and, and I think for the reason that you named Fitz, I think because then people would just very easily just turn it off and go somewhere else. But but we are seeing a, a push from governments to say, well, at least you have to take out the crap, or at least you have to acknowledge, find a way to, to, to do the crap. I think a lot of the, the actions that Facebook is taking in the last year are preemptive actions trying to stave off that sort of government regulation. Yep. That is, that is the only possible answer I can see. Um, but I remain skeptical about it for reasons of future shock of like, I mean, if you watch the hearings, uh, and I didn't watch them super closely, but you know, uh, maybe, and you guys maybe have covered them or were watching very closely. Just couldn't turn them off. <laughs> yeah. Riveted, I'm sure. But, uh, just reading analysis and headlines after the fact, it's like, you've got these 90 year old senators Ugh. asking Mark Zuckerberg, like, so how does Facebook make money? And it's like. How could these people possibly be ensuring and regulating th- these internet provide- uh, platforms? Uh, they don't even know the first thing about what is going on here. And I, d- I mean, 
you guys are more up on this than I am. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like nothing actually happened. No, no regulatory fine. I think Europe hit Facebook with like five hundred thousand dollar fine, which Mark Zuckerberg refers to as couch cushion money. Yeah. Uh, he makes that in about thirty seconds. Yeah. So like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Be- I don't have faith in our lawmakers to understand what the heck's going on here. Yeah, I do get the sense that there is, like Evan said, like some amount of self-policing going on because they, like all these companies are aware that the tide is suddenly turning. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It just it feels like um, the, the sentiment was pro-tech for so long. And now, especially after Cambridge Analytica, it just really took a turn uh, against these tech giants. And they're all sort of aware of this. And they're all figuring out, like, OK, how do we self-police and self-correct so that you know, the measures that we do will be sort of satisfactory in the public eye, but not as harsh as some, you know, uh, thus, thus unknown government body might regulate us. Um, so they're taking that. And also, you know, Europe passed GDPR. So a lot of these companies are, you know, doing GDPR compliant stuff, even for U.S. Uh, users, just to make things simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting some benefits of that. Uh, and that's been kind of nice. It's it's good to see, you know, Europe has a much more privacy inclined stance than the United States does for pretty interesting historical reasons. Um, but it's it's interesting to and nice to see, um, you know, those the, the steps that the Europeans are taking having a positive impact for us in terms of data privacy and, and so on and so forth. I would be interested in hearing those historical reasons in a nutshell, because like my my thought here is just that Europeans and European leaders maybe are just they just care more and they decided to take action whereas we uh, american congress just doesn't know what the heck's going on in a nutshell it's the holocaust um europeans are really sensitive to any kind of data collection um because you know the the nazis had good records and that's how they sort Mm. of cared about their their business um and so europe has a very uh, heightened awareness of you know not letting people collect a bunch of data about public people Interesting. Yeah. I had never yeah, heard that. I had never read or heard that uh, angle on it, and that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff. So, what did we learn today? <laughs> well, I think we've solved we've solved most of it yeah, here yeah. today. I think uh, our work is is mostly done. Any any closing thoughts? No, I would just, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I was optimistic earlier and I think I still am. You know, I think that we're in, if you take sort of a, a geologic view of things, yeah. you know, we're in the very early days of internet publishing still. Uh, yes. We're just sort of sniffing out how this all works. And I think that some amount of, of course corrections and, and, you know, mistakes and trials and errors and so on will be necessary uh, until we figure out exactly how to move forward in a, in a good and positive way but the danger uh, and that sort of gets at the core of the show is that things are moving so fast that maybe some some really bad thing will happen um that'll that'll really be disruptive and bad uh, as a result of all of this before we can figure out uh, sort of solutions and, and best steps and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and you know that sort of course may already be set in motion to some degree um, and it may be irreversible at this point, but um, I do ultimately think that we are figuring out how to how to um, monetize news in a way that makes sense for everybody. Like I look at projects like uh, uh, Syria Deeply and the information are good examples of sort of these blogs that are uh, have great information and great reporting um, and are um, you know expensive, but you know the the people who read them care about them deeply and care about the subject matter deeply. Um, 
and can fund those operations. I don't think that's a great model for every bit of news because you don't want to price people out of news, right? Um, you want to have some some um, other publishers that are doing things that are more accessible for people who don't have the money to pay for um, you know news like that. Uh, but then I think that you look at the ecosystem overall, and I think that what the future looks like is a lot of different kinds of business models that sort of create a hopefully create a news ecosystem where like everybody gets the information they need and it's out there and it's accessible um for people of all sorts of monetary capabilities and and so on and so forth um and i think that's what we're working towards i just hope it comes fast enough that um you know we we sort of don't have any larger problems yeah well i mean npr exists npr exists and is free to everyone because a very small percentage of people care enough to throw throw in 10 bucks a month or whatever like that's that's one of those models that that uh, in your list that i think you're you're envisioning that is, that i am very that keeps me optimistic about that there is an actually a business model for this this stuff yeah and i think what's cool as well is that like after the presidential election a lot of news outlets saw a spike in readership and a mm-hmm. spike in paid readership and so mm-hmm. people very suddenly realized like i should be aware of what's going on in the world and and, and i think that's been a nice sort of pendulum shift back in favor of sort of paying attention to the news which is just sort of a good worldly thing to do or um, but more I, like i've been reading the news but i i forgot to pay for it so i'm gonna right toss in my 10 bucks now because it matters again yeah yeah totally and I, and I think that too i think what people are finding or at least what i hope people are finding is that when they pay for the product they it's almost like you become a shareholder mm-hmm. um and you like you know when you're a paid subscriber to an outlet you have uh, a lot more power to sort of email the editors and say hey i didn't like the way that you handled this story or hey nice job or whatever it is and your feedback becomes that much more valuable because you are you know sort of a paid contributor to that coverage now I learned Fitz is on Twitter. It's a big yep. takeaway for me. <laughs> I, this gotta, is incredible. I gotta get on that. I I'm, I'm extremely online. I'm on Instagram too. I'm on Snapchat. Though I don't use that much anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing <laughs> any of these um, things. Follow me on SoundCloud. <laughs> I'm not going near these things. I, I, would, I would subscribe on SoundCloud. Like I'm curious what, what is going on there on Fitz's SoundCloud account. It's a lot of um, <laughs> Himalayan yodel remixes like club house yodeling. Yeah. It's sort of a new genre I'm trying to break through, but uh, so far, no no real dice. I'm actually just going to record myself sleeping and upload eight hours a night to to SoundCloud and just let people listen and tell me if they find... I won't even listen to it. I'll just let people... Find stuff? Like, I'll, I'll crowdsource Can it. I tell you, you know, you, let me know you if you hum, find anything interesting. You hum John Williams can, soundtracks in your sleep, right? <laughs> that, I would not be shocked to hear that. <laughs> uh, can I tell you, a, a guy that freelances for uh, my company has this side project where he does exactly that he records him and his fiance or his wife ah, or something they, they go to sleep and they maybe they both i think they both talk in their sleep um so they set a recorder eight hours they let it run uh, and then they go back through and listen and then they animate the conversations they have from their sleep oh so that's it's great. just like oh yeah i got oh that's oh, awesome the turtles okay. are back i gotta get the turtles and it, and then they just animate like a turtle cartoon out of their sleep talking it's so yeah. funny it's great i'm into that that's a lot better than my idea now maybe we can get them to watch the news for like four <laughs> to five hours before they sleep okay and this becomes a news <laughs> product right okay. like oh man syria and there's like airstrikes and subconscious Assad, news. man yeah yeah okay 
All right. I'm well, into it. Uh, w- w- let's quit this podcast and get on it. We got a, we got a project. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys. I will see you here at the same time, same place next week. Cool. Can't wait.